Once again, everyone, it is yet another wonderful episode of Are You Telling Me? A history podcast where history comes alive for one guy. And that guy's name is... Mike Russell. That's right. Mr. Mike Russell, student extraordinaire here at here at Stephen Trollinger's AP class. Uh, it's at 8 in the morning. Uh, you just got to school. You just got out of homeroom. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to fucking read some James Joyce. Oh, God. You know, you, you remember homeroom? You remember, that, that was breakfast time. You get those little breakfast bars uh, in the cafeteria. Mike, <laughs> what the ever-loving <laughs> fuck? <laughs> oh, my uh, Audience, listeners, I cannot stress enough. Pretty sure I said my name was Stephen Trollinger up front, but that's me. It's my AP class. Uh, I cannot stress this enough. I kept Mike in the dark about what we were going to talk about today for the entire time he knew we were going to be recording an episode. So the fact that he just brought up breakfast, completely unaware, <laughs> this was not planned. He just started talking automatically about the thing I didn't tell him yet we were going to talk about thereby destroying the segue I had carefully prepared for the beginning of the episode. Because I was going to ask Mike, hey, Mike, what's your favorite meal of the day? And then he was going to say probably lunch, and then I was going to yell at him. I do. I do love lunch. I'm a big lunch guy. But instead, he somehow psychically... I don't like how... This is like the fifth one of these we've done, and each time he's somehow psychically known... He's been connected to me in some weird like way, and he's known what I'm going to fucking talk to him about. I can't believe it's about breakfast. <laughs> we are going to talk about the history of breakfast. Breakfast is, you know what? It makes sense. Breakfast would have a lot of history. Never, con- never considered the history of breakfast. Nobody I feel like does. I feel, I feel like the oldest breakfast man is that old guy on the oatmeal. Qua- the Quaker Oats. We're going to be Quaker talking about Oats? Quaker Oats a little bit today. <laughs> there will be a section on Quaker Oats. At least I, re- if I remember right, there will be. I wrote, I did the research and made the notes for this while, like three months ago while I was in the throes of a fever from my COVID vaccine. So like, oh. I took the vex, I got the vaccine. The next day, I had like some chills and a slight fever in the morning, and I started feeling better by like eleven o'clock. And I thought to myself, this wasn't so bad. I can probably do a bunch of research and do a bunch of typing and type up all these episode notes right now. Four hours later, I realized, oh, no, no, this was physically and mentally too taxing for 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 where my body was today. And now I am shaking visibly and have to lay down for several hours. Oh, you (laughs) you poor delusional vaccined up fool. So forgive me. I haven't looked at these notes since then, so forgive me if I get to a point and I'm like, why the fuck did I write? Why the hell did I just start talking about Bugs Bunny for no reason? <laughs> what, you get a little confused when you were looking at Trick Cereal? Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, that's, a Bugs, that's the Bugs <laughs> Bunny, right? I'm gonna go lay down. So yes, yeah, so we're gonna talk about the history of breakfast. Now, that I have had a love-love relationship with breakfast my entire life. It's love, my, love. Fa- my favorite meal of the day. 
Uh, it's hard to find a breakfast that I'll truly, utterly despise. Now, granted, I haven't had every breakfast there is under the sun. Uh, some of them we'll be talking about today. But I've had a few, and most of them I've liked. But I I never considered where breakfast came from. Nobody just, like, do you ever consider things like, are you eating like a sandwich and you think to yourself, hey, I wonder where sandwiches come from? Like, what's <laughs> what's the origin story of the sandwich? What's the Stan Lee origin story of the sandwich? <laughs> See, but the, sta- the sandwich just makes sense, man. If, there, if there's one thing I understand, it's just putting as much shit together at once and shoving it into my mouth for, for food. Like, like, when I got, like, it's like when you when you put your um like even when you had your when you had the sandwich already, which was already a bunch of stuff just sandwiched together, and you're like, you know what? I got these chips on the side. I'm gonna put those in there too. So then you take your Doritos or your Ruffles or whatever kind of chips you got, or maybe even your Mac salad, and then you start throwing that in the sandwich, and then your sandwich is just a bigger sandwich because the idea of the sandwich is just to put it all in there because you know what? Like, what, why are we wasting time? But we're not talking about sandwiches today. You've already got me. Somehow, we're wildly off topic already. Um, so one day at work, like, so the, the beginning of this was, do you ever think about silly things like, hey, I wonder where, where this sandwich, where, this, where does breakfast come from? Like, no, you just eat breakfast. Like, you don't consider it the philosophical underpinnings of breakfast. Uh, one time, uh, and this is, I think this is the origin of a lot of philosophy, uh, is just somebody has a shit ton of free time on their hands, and a stray random thought leads them to hours worth of pondering a thing. Only now in our new high-tech society, we have things like Wikipedia and the Internet. So when we think to ourselves in the middle of our work shift where nothing is happening, I wonder where breakfast comes from. Two hours later, you have researched the entirety of the history of breakfast, and it never quite leaves your brain from that moment forward. And that's what happened to me. And that's where this came from. I love this, Steve. Now, so Steve, where, yeah, where no, go you, ahead. Ask. Go ahead. No, I'm just wondering. So, where where did your research first bring you in your in your quest of breakfast knowledge? So we are going to. <laughs> I I pull the last few episodes we've done. I've pulled um, from many secondary sources. So when you're doing, uh, in terms of his, historiography, in terms of the origins of where the history comes from. There are different types of sources. There's primary sources. Primary sources would be like, if you're researching the Federalist Papers, you go and you read a letter that Alexander Hamilton wrote about the Federalist Papers. It's a primary source. You're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. Secondary, tertiary sources are when it's like, well, I got it from a history book where they quoted that guy. So a lot of my research up to this point has been from secondary sources, which isn't a bad thing. It's not any less valid. But this is, um, like, the first time I... So, like, a lot of my research came from a book called Breakfast, a History by... And I have the person's name here. By Heather Arndt Anderson. So it's Breakfast, a History. So a lot of... Wait, uh, by, 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 but wait, if she's not Anderson, who is she? Okay, you know what? When I wrote her name down, I knew you were going to make that. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that joke. I was like, that's a, that's a stupid joke. No one would make that. No, Mike would make that joke. <laughs> I heard it in my head. <laughs> if her middle names aren't, what won't she do? <laughs> uh, it's spelled A-R-N-D-T, by the way. Oh. So it's uh, Breakfast, a history. So uh, I'm going to cite uh, a, lot of, a lot of notes from, uh, from, from this book. And it is, I guess, right up front, we should say, uh, do you know what the word breakfast means? Uh, it means... 
You need to take a break real quick and eat something. You are half right. <laughs> the word break is, in fact, used in the sense of the word break. However, uh, the English word breakfast comes from the literal act of breaking a fast. So oh, when you, doy. yeah, okay, that makes so sense. when you, when <laughs> yeah. you eat dinner, unless you're, you know, one of uh, a disgustingly fat American, you're done for the day. You ate dinner, you're done, you're done for like till the next day. You, you know, you might have a snack or something, but other than that, you're you're done. You're fasting. You are you cease to eat until such a time that you break said fast. Uh, that's uh, I mean, that, that's the keto life right there, right? You know, like yeah. For you. Yeah, unless you're like waking up at two in the morning saying, I could use a cake. I could go for a cake right about now. Like fourth meal, like Taco Bell. That's breaking. That's technically breakfast. You've broken your fast way too early. Come on, Steve. You're never doing those double dinners and then like uh, that extra dessert. No, I can honestly say I have not. But there'll be when we get a little bit later, there's some special types of breakfast that you might not know of that involve more than one breakfast. Are you talking about, well, for all our Lord of the Rings fans out there, the uh, second breakfast? What about second breakfast? <laughs> I am, in fact, that's a real thing. That wasn't, J.R. Tolkien did not make that up. That is a real thing from, from the English, and I'll get into that. Oh, uh, oh but our, so much teasing here, Steve. I know. Our You're journey making into, me hungry for our, knowledge. Our journey into <laughs> breakfast history begins in all, as in most things, with the ancient Egyptians. Now, in ancient Egypt, okay. yes, Mike. You know, I just want that song. Eat like an Egyptian. Yeah, that's totally like the song title. Uh, the ancient Egyptians, Mike, uh, peasants, peasants ate breakfast, uh, and we're gonna. So this is gonna be theme a lot through history. A lot of the lower class, the underclass, is gonna really gonna double down on breakfast because they're the ones that are getting up at like four in the morning to go till fields and do hard labor for 12 hours a day. So they've got to wake up and eat a bunch of shit because they're going to be on their feet doing stuff for a significant port- portion of their day. They're going to so need gonna, that energy, Steve. They're exactly. going to need it. That's going to be a lot of what we know for uh, breakfast these days comes from the peasant classes of a lot of different civilizations. So like Egyptian peasants, typically uh, they ate breakfast and it usually consisted of beer, which was a staple in the ancient Egyptian diet. Um, bread and green onions. So a lot of what we know about what ancient peoples ate for breakfast comes from what they were able to grow until you start to get into like empires. You start to get to like Rome and then Rome can import a bunch of stuff from Gaul and and, uh, and Spain and whatnot. But, you know, if you even in the ancient Egyptians, they have an empire, but that empire extends further down in Africa. You don't necessarily have a Mediterranean diet available to you. So for breakfast, they had beer because they had, you know, it was a breadbasket of the Middle East. They had a shit ton of wheat. So they, they beer was used uh, as also, I think a lot of people know this now, but beer was also used as payment for servant classes. They would like the builders of the pyramid would be paid in beer. They'd be like, here, drink the- this and then climb this pyramid and <laughs> bring this heavy stone up there. You want me to carry this heavy stone up this dangerous looking wall? Oh, you better I mean, get me drunk. Give me that liquid courage. <laughs> yeah. So the ancient Egyptians, that was what was available to them. They had beer, and they had they had liquid bread, beer, and they had regular bread, bread. Uh, then How we get to, did they get fat? No, because then they fucking hauled that stone up the pyramid, Mike. You know, you know when when booze and bread are your carbs, 
<laughs> You're gonna have a lot of energy. So now we fast forward to the ancient ah, Greeks. Fast. Breakfast fast forward. We breakfast forward to the ancient Greeks. Uh, the ancient Greek poet Homer, uh, who we know of as the uh, the uh, originator of the Odyssey and the Iliad, uh, he often spoke of a morning meal in his uh, in what we would come to know of his writings. He wasn't a writer; he he was a, a an orator, an oral poet. But he would speak of a morning meal called Ariston in both the Iliad and the Odyssey. So in the Iliad and the Odyssey, you have uh, the tales of these Greek heroes, and they would have a morning meal, and that's what it was called. Um, but he wouldn't necessarily give a lot of, he wouldn't like, that was just like the part of the story is like, oh, also, and then they ate anyway. And then Ajax, the Ajax, the greater murdered a shit ton of Trojans. Like that was just the, they didn't go into what they were eating. That wasn't the, you don't stop like a rousing adventure tale to go. And then Robin Hood went and ate a bowl of porridge. Anyway, four hours later, <laughs> you mean, the readers would be like, wait, wait, tell me more about that porridge he was eating. Nobody did that for some reason. <laughs> Nobody what, cared. What, what did he put into it? I need to know the recipe. I gotta. Cinnamon, I want to eat was like it honey? my heroes. <laughs> uh, now, in later classical Greek periods, so this is uh, during like the Greek Golden Age of Athens and Sparta, they had a meal called, uh, and I, pr- I apologize for probably mispronouncing a lot of these words, uh, uh, akratisma, or akratisma which consisted, and this one we actually know, consisted of barley bread dipped in wine, as well as figs or olives, which were, again, staples. They basically just took things that they had readily available, and they just ate it in the morning. Like, there wasn't, like, breakfast as we know it as a different meal doesn't come in a bear until much later in history. Up until then, it's just like what we eat at all points of the day, but first thing in the morning. Steve, are you telling me (laughs) that all these originators of breakfast were the, were the origins of the breakfast of champions. I mean, these guys were a bunch of booze hounds, it sounds like. Everybody is drinking for breakfast. For You know, the, the first people doing, you know, like the, 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 the brunch folks. You know, the, the, were these, like... Brunch, Michael, is an ancient art, an ancient tradition that goes back millennia into human history. I will hear no brunch bashing. It is as old as time as human recorded history itself. Drinking in the morning. Uh, and speaking of oh, brunch, you gotta love it. You gotta yeah, love it. Yeah, speaking of brunch. So I mentioned, I mentioned, you know, like in this in this classical period, a lot of these like breakfast is just what we normally eat, but in the morning, the Greeks uh, threw a little a uh, they threw a little innovation into this circle of life. And while a certain popular breakfast food has been found in human remains dating back to the Stone Age, the first recorded instance of pancakes being used in human morning meals was the ancient Greeks in the 5th century BC, where they would often be topped with honey, sesame seeds, and cheeses. Yeah. I can tell certain people are salivating currently with the idea oh. of throwing cheese on top of pancakes. I've never had cheese on my pancakes. Why? What is wrong with me? That sounds like I am an American. <laughs> How did this not accidentally happen already? I need pan cheesecakes right now. <laughs> That's where well, you are. Uh, yo, Steve, are you more of a waffle or a pancake man? I, I partake. I partake in both. I'm not a. I'm not a breakfast snob. I do enjoy the architecture of waffles. I feel like they're more it, difficult to uh, to engineer. It's like they have little slots for the syrup to go into. Yeah, and it doesn't like it's not like pancakes where it all just sloughs off onto the side, and then you just got to dip it all over again. Like I don't don't give me extra work to do pancakes. 
So now we're going to breakfast forward, which I'm going to use for the rest of the episode now. Thank you, Mike. Uh, a little bit. We're going to jump ahead a bit to the ancient Romans. Uh, everyone everyone oh. loves a good ancient Roman. Eat like uh, the Romans do. Let's go. Uh, now, Romans of the upper class during the kingdom, so like the kingdom of Rome into the early Roman Republic, did not eat any breakfast uh, because they scheduled all business for the morning and worked until lunch. So any business... Of the upper classes, any business of the uh, of the equestrian class or the senatorial class, they scheduled it first thing in the morning. They worked like from the first thing from the morning <laughs> to the minute, middle of the afternoon, and then they broke for lunch. And after they uh, so they had after, break lunch. Yeah, they had break lunch. They they worked till lunch. After which they would so they'd eat, and then they would adjourn to the baths around two p.m. And then that's when the second and final meal of the day would commence, known as. Uh, Either Sena or Chena. I don't know how the pr- pronunciation is in, in Latin. Uh, but that's where we get Chena. Chena. So that's where a lot of different Romance languages based on Latin, when you use the word dinner, it will have the base chain uh, something. Chain something or other. And now I should I should mention... <laughs> so, I, so I could start asking ladies out to Chena? Is that you could. <laughs> yeah. They, they wouldn't know what the hell you're talking about, but you could. Yeah. Here's a so, you know what? Do you think maybe if the Romans had enjoyed the what can be seen as the most important meal of the day, they would have been a little less hangry and maybe you know could have figured things out. Uh, well, I was going to say, Mike, lest you think they were star these poor Romans were starving themselves. When I say they adjourned to the baths around two and then the second and final meal of the day would commence. So they had like lunch at like noon or 11 a.m. And then three hours later, they'd have another meal. You're like, oh, man, that seems a little close. I should mention that Chena lasts until nightfall. Oh, so they just. So they didn't stop eating. So they went to the baths (laughs) and then when they were done at the baths at like 2 p.m., they just laid around and ate and ate. And eight. That's where the vomitoriums come from, Mike. Have you ever heard of a vomitorium? Oh my! What's what's the word you can go t- to watch and join in on puking? Like it's where in in ancient Rome they'd eat so goddamn much throughout the day. They had a special building they'd all go to to throw up and then keep on eating. Oh my! You know these? Oh my! Steve, are you telling me there was a there was a puke palace? The puke palace. (laughs) Caesar's puke palace. (laughs) That is amazing and gross. And you know what? That's why gluttony is an original sin. Thanks to the Romans. There is no... You just sit around and eat all day and you start puking up just so you can go eat some more. Oh, what? Oh, you gotta be... And it's it's actually interesting you can bring up gluttony, Mike. That is going to play into... Uh, that plays a role in the history of breakfast, the concept of gluttony, which we'll get to here in a second. But I should say, first, before we move on from the Romans, uh, later on, the Romans would actually develop a three-meal day. So eventually they'd stop just, like, gorging themselves for eight hours at a time. They develop a three-meal day that served as the basis for, actually, the modern meal schedule we enjoy currently. Their breakfast, which was called genteculum, would be eaten around 9 or 10 a.m. and would basically consist of staples. Like I said, like up until this point, you know, they stuff they normally eat just in the morning. So cheese, bread, nuts, olives, etc. Plus, any cold, this is the one innovation, any cold meat left over from the night before. So you'd also include cold cuts. 
in their breakfast. So there's no waste. So they're like, all right, save this shit. We didn't eat it all the night before. Save that for breakfast. Eat it for breakfast. You know what? So, so they'd be cool with morning after pizza. So I'm pretty sure you get a pizza, you put it in the fridge. Hey, instant breakfast. That's the Roman. That's the Roman way to do it. In case you ever feel bad, listeners, for eating morning pizza, pizza for breakfast, cold pizza, just remember you are just partaking in an ancient regimen from the good days of Rome. Pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. When pizza's with the Romans, you can eat pizza at a time. Uh, and I like that. I like that. Despite them being so wasteful by puking up most of their food, uh, at least they're all about eating it the next day and, and not throwing out leftovers. Exactly. And remember, all this stuff, like, we're not talking about when you're like, oh, man, how do these guys not get super fat? Some of them did. But how did all of Roman the Roman Senate not be just a bunch of three hundred pound guys? You got to remember these food, the food they're eating. These are staples. These are pure, like this isn't saturated fats. This is a, you know, this is olives. This is nuts. This is br- this is cheese. Like this is not, this is not what we would like think of today. Is like, oh yeah, if we ate a shit ton of saturated fats and shit that we eat today, yeah, we'd get fat. But no, these guys are just eating. Stuff that fell off of trees or stuff that they made, you know, dairy, like simple dairy products. These are not things that'll get you fat unless you had, like, you had to eat an insane (laughs) amount to get fat. So, like, if you were a fat Roman, people would look at you like, do you not do anything all day? Are you so rich that you just do not move from morning till night and you eat constantly? Because that's the only way you get that fat with, with cheese and nuts and fish. Steve, are you suggesting to me... That if I just eat olives, cheese, nuts, and grapes all day, I can probably lose a few pounds? If you continue, like, a standard, like, regimen of moving around and do exercise, yeah, that's that's a Mediterranean diet, Mike. I'm going on this this meta, this this Roman diet where I eat all day and puke at night, and <laughs> it works itself out, is that? <laughs> all right, more power to you. I mean, it's not a good thing to puke. Still, like, it's a bad thing. <laughs> Why didn't they name Bo- Bo- Bohemia after the Romans? I mean, does... Oh, I, guess... I don't know, Mike. Look, I don't know the... Def- I don't know the... First of all, that is an eating disorder we can't make fun of. Eating disorders... Maybe Romanism isn't an eating disorder. It sounds like one. I but just... we also don't know the, the origin of the root Latin words for bulimia. For all we know, there could be some sort of origin in, in ancient Latin for it. Uh, you know, the, little did I realize we learned so much today, Steve. Just just start with breakfast. <laughs> before we move on from the Romans and before we start making fun of people with uh, eating disorders, uh, the <laughs> if you do have an eating disorder, please talk to somebody. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, a fun fact is a few fun facts. Uh, well, throughout the episode, but this is the first Roman fun fact. Roman soldiers, Mike, would breakfast. So they're out in the fields. Whatever you can get to them is what they eat. Roman soldiers would breakfast on roasted wheat or barley, softened in hot water, and it was called pulmentus, which would eventually come to be known as polenta. Have you ever had polenta, Mike? Polenta? Polenta, yeah. It is a, it is a staple in, in uh, certain Mediterranean countries uh, that is virtually unchanged. It is just wheat and barley softened in hot water. There's like some things in it now to make it taste better, but it's, it's basically all you need to get through the rest of your day of soldiering. But now we eat it as like a dinner. It's like a, it's no longer a breakfast food, though. There, you know what? It's also essentially what porridge is. And I'll get to porridge later. But you know, this is gonna sound gross, but it sounds like a fun dinner you could make. 
Um, you know, because don't they say you can eat the placenta? Okay, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> so no, but see, you know where I'm going with this, right? Like if you if you put the placenta with the polenta, you could you have a polenta placenta. Steve, why don't you ever let your parents listen to your history podcast? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it could be. I think it could be a fun little recipe there, Steve. You know, it's a little. It's got a little rhythm to it. People love stuff like that. Okay, well, you know, I think you might have some supply chain issues, but other people than just that, need to start making more babies so we can get these pimenta placentas on the market. Okay, so now we're gonna skip ahead. We're gonna break fast forward to the medieval to, to medieval times, not the restaurant, but the actual time, the medieval times. Now you brought up Mike. You brought up a great point, great segue before, not the thing you were just talking about, you demented weirdo. But uh, before that. You were talking about the concept of gluttony. Now, yes. in medieval Europe, what's the big power of medieval Europe? The Catholic Church. Oh, the good old Catholic Church. My favorite supervillain, <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church, of which I am nominally a member of. They haven't excommunicated me yet, but I am, I am a yet. But yes, our favorite <laughs> archvillain of, are you telling me, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, always now, making an appearance. <laughs> always making an appearance. So now in Europe during the medieval period, only two formal meals would be formal meals would be eaten, one at midday and one at evening. And that's because eating too soon would be considered indulgence under Roman Catholic dogma of the time. So they looked at these ancient Romans and they said to themselves, these guys, these are like the epitome of overindulgence. And this is why they fell. And this is why we're in power now. So obviously that was part of the moral decay of the Roman Empire was people were eating too much. So we've got to throw in some dogma to make people feel bad about eating too much too soon or they'll go to hell. And that way they won't eat in the morning. And that way we can stave off this moral decline. The now, first Thomas... thing these people should be eating is the body of Christ. Exactly. Every <laughs> if day. If, I, if you're not starting your day off with a bowl of Jesus, then you are just doing it wrong. <laughs> Now, in Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica, which I can't believe I'm referencing on an episode of Are You Telling Me? He wrote that breakfast was akin to gluttony. And that basically, if you couldn't wait until midday to eat, you were too tied to earthly pleasures, and you were unable to control your lusty appetites. If you got to wake up and eat immediately, that's a, that's a mortal sin. That's one of the seven deadly sins. Gluttony right there. That's like saying, if you got to wake up and fuck immediately, you are too, you are under the control of the devil. You put that morning wood back in your pants and wait till at least 2 p.m. like a civilized person. Because <laughs> you're not doing, you can't, nooners also verboten, because that's when you got to have your first meal. And then you got to wait a couple hours because you can't fuck on a full stomach. Now, in addition to, I'll trust you on that. Now, in addition to the sort of moral uh, moorings thrown on the concept of breakfast, there's also now a social aspect because eating breakfast would also be considered low. As we mentioned before, those who were required to, those who required early morning sustenance did so because they were usually peasants who had to get to work and needed the energy. So in addition to that, you've got this, uh, you got the moral trap, and now you've got the social trap of, oh, well, the only people who really need to eat in the morning are too poor to afford to not eat until later in the day. That's so screwed. Steve, are you, are, you, are you telling me? If I was walking around back in the day with a breakfast sando, 
you know, I got my my nice healthy wrap. Uh, people are gonna be like, "Oh, you are, you're going to hell. You're a glutton. You're and you're lower class poor. You peasant." That's exactly what I'm telling you, Mike. <laughs> it ain't right, Steve. I, I, oh, you know, you know what? You know, if you had told me this, if you had told me this as a kid, I would have been on board the shit on breakfast train. I hated breakfast. I hated eggs. I hated every breakfast food. I was a lunch man. I was a big lunch man. Um, but as I've gotten older and my mind has opened up to more possibilities and I've grown in, in so many ways, mentally and emotionally. I now love breakfast and everything that it is about. I feel you, heard like it here, I- you heard it here first, folks. Some people open up their minds and read the teachings of the Buddha or of Confucius. Mike Russell opens up his mind and his first thought is... I should give breakfast a second look. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> Especially to do those runs that you do. Yeah. <laughs> you need the energy to do those runs, Steve. Uh, now, eventually, Mike, uh, nobles would begin to break this breakfast tattoo, but they would, <laughs> the nobles would, but they would only do so when traveling. So, like, if you're at home, it still, st- you know, it still stands to reason you're not going to eat breakfast. But if you're traveling, you're like, well, you know, I don't know when my next meal's going to be because, you know, we're traveling and I could get like we could like get murdered by some highwaymen or something. So I should probably eat every meal as if it was my last meal because I'm on the road. Wait, is this where the one in Rome came from? I mean, like, oh, well, if I'm traveling, I might as well have breakfast. I don't do it when I'm home. What? What? Uh, and much like the Romans, Mike, their breakfast would consist of a very simple breakfast, bread, cheese, and wine, or possibly beer. Bread, cheese, wine, or bread, cheese, beer. That's your breakfast for like the first 5,000 years of human history. You know, where did this BS come from that you have to wait till 5 o'clock when everyone was drinking booze for breakfast forever? Uh, I believe that is uh, a uniquely American thing, and we could probably blame the Puritans for that. Oh, you know, those Puritans made us a bunch of prudes. That's uh, Or the Quakers, and we'll get to them. Oh, uh, oh Mr. We'll, Oates himself. We'll get to the Quakers, <laughs> which is a thing I don't think anyone's ever said in like a angry tone of voice before. Um, now, by the 16th century, breakfast had become more customary, in part because many people in positions of power began publicly partaking in it. Uh, f- for instance, Elizabeth I would publicly break her fast. She would it was be be part of her morning routine to have some oat cakes. And because and it's like, oh, well Elizabeth Elizabeth's do, the queen of England is doing it, like why should why should we deprive ourselves of some breakfast? <laughs> look look at this look at this lady. Look at Queen Elizabeth. Likes breakfast. Ah, you know, it's <laughs> she. She had oat cakes and ale. That would be Queen Elizabeth's breakfast: a stout ale and some oat cakes. <laughs> she she came out as a breakfast eater and was just so <laughs> loved by the public. I love this. It's it's like it's like a, it was like the first movement, Steve. And the, the rights thing- to eat what you want when you want, as long as you control a country. <laughs> you can do a lot of stuff when you control a country. <laughs> um. The other big reason the 16th century served as the time 
to break the breakfast taboo in Europe is because of trade. Because now, in 16th century Europe, you're starting to see people discover new places that had hitherto before been undiscovered by Europeans. You're having people uh, across the Atlantic, and you're having people in South America and in North America. And you're discovering, and in uh, the Middle East, you're like trading with the Middle East now, and you're which you weren't doing in the Middle Ages because you were too busy fighting them for control of Jerusalem. Uh, and you start to discover certain things, certain things like coffee and Whoa. chocolate, <laughs> things that you didn't know existed until the middle of the 16th century. And then all of a sudden, you got all these people drinking a shit ton of coffee and eating a bunch of chocolate. Because it's addictive, because it's made of cocoa beans. <laughs> it's, and pretty soon... It's made you, out of what is in coke, right? I mean... Exactly. Pretty soon you got... You just... You can't... Like, the Catholic Church doesn't have the power to hold back the tide of, of coffee and chocolate. It created such an uproar among Europe's social elite. And then this is a quote from, uh, from, from uh, Breakfast, a history. Uh, quote... Uh, that the Catholic Church began to feel the pressure of cha to change the rules. In 1662, Cardinal Francis Maria Brancaccio declared that liquidum non frangit jejunum, meaning, quote, liquid does not break the fast. So because so many people were drinking coffee, they had to, they had to make a new rule saying like, okay, well, I guess since it's not a solid, since it's a liquid, it's not considered a fast, which is now you start having people in 16th century France straight up drinking liquid chocolate for breakfast. That's where <laughs> French <laughs> sipping chocolate comes from. If you, I don't know if you know this, Mike, the French have a long history for breakfast of having what's called sipping chocolate, where you basically just sip melted chocolate and that's your breakfast. Oh, the power of coffee and chocolate compels you. That and they, they can't say shit because everyone's <laughs> drinking chocolate for breakfast. They're getting, they're waking up and they're saying, "Pour some of that melted chocolate on my throat." Ha ha ha. Yeah. Before uh, before I was into the coffee, Steve. You know, I didn't get into coffee until I was out of college. Really, um, I was a hot chocolate man. I was all about the hot cocoa. You know, that's. I but mean, that's still that's pretty liquidy, and that's though. That's chocolate. I can't. And imagine. that's liquidy. That's well, liquid. That's like you just put the powder in in a liquid. I'm talking about you take a can. You take a fucking candy bar and you melt it down with some sugar and then you yeah. drink that. And that sounds amazing. Why? What? Is this still popular in France? Why is yeah, there not yeah. a liquid chocolate bar? Hell I mean, yeah, you a, can, like a little bar I can walk into and drink liquid chocolate at. That's, you can. That's it. You can. If you go to France, they'll, those are those are things you can you can do in France. There's places I think in New York. Uh, there's like French restaurants, French French cafes. You can go and do that. I myself in my cupboard cupboard have a container of French sipping chocolate. Steve, are you telling me <laughs> you've been sipping on chocolate this whole time and haven't told me about it? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I've keep I've kept this horrible secret from you. Oh my! God. My Catholic See? upbringing. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, before we move on from the medieval era, this is a fun side note for you, Mike. You'll like this. Uh, there is evidence that uh, oatmeal, uh, which up until oatmeal as we know didn't really come into uh, come into existence until the 18th century, uh, uh, 19th century, but oatmeal or porridge, which is what it used to be. Uh, where it wasn't like oat cake. It wasn't made of oat. It was made of like beans, like ground down beans and, and like barley. Um, there's evidence that oatmeal, a culturally universal dish of porridge, was a favorite 
of Swedish devil worshippers in the 1670s. Uh, Joseph Glanville, in his book, uh, Seducimus uh, Triumphatus, which was one of those like witch hysteria books, like the Malleus Maleficarum, where they come up with like, here's what, how, here's how you find out witches. Here's how you see what witches like do. Um, it was written at the height of the European witch hysteria. It spoke of these wild satanic sex orgies in Blockula, Sweden. Yes, Blockula, Sweden, where Satan himself would appear and he'd lay out a delightful breakfast for the orgy attendees. <laughs> Cabbage broth, bacon, oatmeal, bread with butter, milk, cheese, and then after the meal, dancing and sex would commence. Why Why was that considered such a bad thing? You know, if anything, Satan sounds like a great party guest. He's bringing all sorts of... He's bringing a whole spread. And you know, Mike, that's why the Catholic Church banned (laughs) breakfast for so long, because it was a tool of the devil. To make us all sex crazed and full of pe- full of peanuts and oat. All these oats are getting me frisky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and as our as our last little bit of uh, of specific food history, uh, the 18th century uh, and the 19th century, we see the we see breakfast as we know sort of come into existence, and it's thanks to the Industrial Revolution, because in the U.S. Uh, you've got a system of trains that so now if you are in New York, you can have smoked salmon from Oregon for your breakfast, uh, like on your bagel. Uh, you can have sh- citrus sh- fruits from Florida shipped up to you. Uh, and now you've got electricity, which means you've got all these new appliances that help you bre- uh, make all sorts of new types of breakfast even faster. Got those got griddles. New- got the griddle at home now. Exactly. Different ways of making. You got now you got easier ways of making coffee and transporting coffee. And plus, you've got all these people working 12, 14-hour fucking shifts at the factory. They need to drink a shit ton of coffee the whole day. And you got to get that country. you got to get that coffee to your country. And you do it through shipping, and you do it through trains. And by the end of the 19th century, you've got all these new devices that help you, like, steal, steel-cut oats. That's where you start getting steel-cut oats for oatmeal and breakfast cereals from these machines that can now cut oats with steel. Oh my god! And was breakfast? You know, is breakfast cereal? You know, I don't eat breakfast cereal anymore because of you know of what it is. But I imagine. Do you think was it so popular because I mean, it's just sugar. It is just a bowl. You are eating a bowl full of sugar, and were people getting some energy from that? They thought. Although I feel like you get the you get the you probably get the sugar crash though. Well, Which is why you gotta was, keep drinking coffee all day. I mean, the the breakfast cereals that we know. When I talk about like the 19th and early 20th centuries breakfast cereals, I'm you got to think more like uh, like plain Cheerios. You got to think more like uh, um, fr- uh, not Frosted Flakes. Uh, what's the like sh- shitty cornflakes? <laughs> corn, yeah, cornflakes. Corn you're thinking of cornflakes. Corn you're just thinking flakes. of sh- plain shitty cornflakes. That we, that's what you're talking about. You don't start to see, like, the sugary breakfast cereals until, like, the 50s when it becomes, like, a a, a massive commercial entity. Um, But part of it, too, was, like, in World War I and World War II, you had a lot of rationing of, like, meat and eggs. So cereal all of a sudden becomes super popular because it's easy to make and it's easy to get. And you've got all these housewives who don't—aren't able to afford, like, a staff and they don't necessarily have time. They're busy. They're busy going to the factory to make fucking jet planes. So they don't have time to feed like a whole family. So they're just like, here, bowl of cereal. It's all we got. Eat it. <laughs> uh, 
And another fun uh, fun fact before we before we escape the uh, the bounds of history here, uh, and I I learned this during a World War II podcast. In World War II, uh, steak and eggs became Ooh, yeah. I uh, love me so, some steak and eggs, dude. That's, steak my, and egg. that's probably my favorite breakfast. That is that is my favorite breakfast. That's... And you know the origin of steak and eggs, Mike? Steak and eggs is what's called in the World War II a battle breakfast. So if you are in a, a dangerous combat zone, let's say you are serving on a U.S. naval vessel in the South, in the Pacific, during World War II against Imperial Japan, if you go to the mess and they're serving you, like, mushy... You know, like cereal or, you know, like mush or some or porridge or something. You're like, all right, this is gonna be it's gonna be a pretty easy day. If you go to the mess and they prepared steak and eggs for you, you are probably gonna die today. Uh. Because that is the meal that they prepare <laughs> for you before they're about to send you into the sky to fight a shit ton of jet fighters. You know, that battle breakfast. Boy, I love the name of it. Terrified at what that would mean if I was uh, serving our country. That is, woohoo. But, you know, thank God they were serving up some good some good stuff, though. I mean, if you're going to have your final meal, you'd want it to be steak and eggs. Not, not a, imagine, imagine they were sending you up there after eating mush. I'd be pissed. Well, what was the last thing I ate before I got shot down? Oh, I had shitty mush slop. They would do, they would actually, uh, that that would carry over into the astronaut program as well. Before uh, launch, they would have either steak and eggs, or they'd have some sort of hearty breakfast that you couldn't necessarily, you know, you wouldn't necessarily eat every day. Because, hey, I'm about to strap you to a million tons of, of rocket fuel, and I'm gonna launch you into space. Who knows what's gonna happen? You should probably <laughs> you should probably eat a good good breakfast before you do that. Yeah. Plus, when yeah, then when you're finally getting to space, you, you're you're eating out of toothpaste bottles, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so steak and eggs. Next time you have steak and eggs, Mike, you think to yourself, you you salute that plate because that is a meal that if your grandfather was served, he might have he might have like. He might have had to amend his will that day, because that's the day you're going to start. That's the day you're going into. So you're you're going into the real shed. But Mike, I'm going to break now. We're going to break from breakfast. Break from breakfast. Uh, <laughs> uh, from the history of breakfast, and I want to talk for a little bit uh, on the end of the episode here for our last like 15 minutes or so. The future of breakfast. Uh, no, I want to talk about breakfast from around the world. Oh, okay. I want to okay. talk about. We talk about ancient breakfast. We talk a little about American breakfast. We'll talk some more about American breakfast. But I want to talk because when you're sitting here steak and eggs, do you think to yourself, do the Chinese eat steak and eggs? Ooh. Do do people do people in Ethiopia eat steak and eggs? Um, and the answer is they don't. None of them do. <laughs> yeah, and I and I know damn well they don't in what in, in India, right? I mean, because uh, sure, of course, uh, okay, <laughs> lowest, lowest, like pull that low hanging fruit there, Mike. I'm just yes. saying, Steve. <laughs> yes, you are correct. So let's <laughs> let's start with uh, we're gonna I'm gonna jump around the globe a bit here. We'll start with uh, we'll start with China, uh, our our best friends, China, our, our um, besties. <laughs> so while the specifics can differ from province to province, the Chinese typically take a breakfast that we might consider as that we might actually consider as breakfast. So like pancakes and other forms of deep fried bread. So they actually do, they do pancakes, which is basically just a fried cake that you have in the morning with sugar on it. <laughs> Liquid sugar. It's, 
Um, but the difference here is that they can actually mix it up with things like soups, fried noodles with pork, and even dim sum. Dim sum can be a breakfast food what's, in China. Uh, what's dim sum again? Wow, I did not expect you to ask me what dim sum was. Well, you're throwing it out there like it's a regular food I'm eating all the time. Dim sum, you know, like, what, have you ever seen, like, it's like a, a, a wooden circle? It's like, it looks like it's part of a barrel almost, and there's like a bunch of buns in it. You know, like like pork buns and things uh, like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's dim sum. It's actually it's a it's a dish. It's not so much a food type. It's like you you uh, uh, you put it in like it's a, a a wide variety of different things that go in this dish. So it's like a, you got a little uh, a little free for all in there. Yeah, because I love me some pork buns, and I could probably eat this cavalcade of food yeah so you'd have like cuisine. you'd have like you know dumplings and rolls, dumplings oh hell yeah 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 buns yeah. pork buns things like that so it's di- the the dish is called dim sum and it's in these you know like almost these wooden like half wooden barrel containers and that was the dish that they would use uh or that they do use so that's that's a that could be a breakfast dish but it could also be eaten in the middle of the day as well love that oh kind of uh, like uh kind of like biscuits and gravy Right? A little bit, yeah. Because I know, I know that's. Uh, well, I think down south, they like enjoying that for breakfast. Oh, I make my. I have. I do make myself uh, biscuits and sausage gravy yeah? from time to time. Oh, I Steve, do. I'm coming over for breakfast sometime. That's what I you're will making. make it for you. Yeah. I will make it for you, Mike. <laughs> Uh, and you mentioned India, Mike. So let's talk about India. Yeah. India, Mike, has over 25 different types of breakfast made <laughs> from. Made from hundreds of different ingredients and are specific to geography. So it'll be like you go to India and you travel like 10 kilometers, you could have a different breakfast what? that you couldn't have where you started from. So like in southern India, they they make a breakfast out of what's called dosa, which is a crepe made of fermented rice and lentils that's served with chutney. But then if you drive to northern India, they specialize in a dish called alu paratha, which is unleavened dough. Rolled with mashed potatoes, spices, cooked in butter, and served with Indian pickles, which are just really a variety of different fruits and vegetables pickled in oil, vinegar, or lemon juice. I could get into that. I could get into that. I need to go to India to try all these different breakfasts. And that's just two. I named two (laughs) breakfasts from two very large geographical areas, north and south. And within those two geographical areas, you can have all sorts of variety that I can't possibly get into because we could probably do just an episode. I could probably do an episode of a random podcast on like what people in India eat for breakfast. (laughs) Uh, In Japan, Mike, depending on the time of the week, the Japanese may either partake in traditional Japanese breakfast, uh, which is usually on the weekends because it's hard to prepare, or what's called Western breakfast, which is cereal, coffee, OJ, etc. So the Japanese have Japanese breakfast and they have our breakfast. Because of, and a lot of that came from uh, the, like, you know, like, we basically took over, the, the United States took over Japan after 1945, and we stuck around for half a century. So there's going to be some bleeding together of different cultures. You know, so, uh, isn't that, isn't that the beauty of multiculturalism, Steve? Uh, I mean, the where, the, 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 how we got there wasn't great, but sure. It's, uh, you know, it's not always how you get there. It's just what you, but what you make of it, right? 
You make breakfast uh, with it, Steve. <laughs> you make breakfast with World War II. Um, so the Japanese have two different types of breakfast. Their breakfast and our breakfast. If they don't have a lot of time, like it's a weekday and they got to go to work, they'll do Western breakfast, which is you know, a bowl of cereal, some coffee, and OJ. If it's the weekend and they've got some extra time on their hands, they'll have a traditional Japanese breakfast, which is a mix of steamed rice, miso soup, raw egg poured over onto the rice, seaweed, Ooh. and grilled fish. Now that, see, and that sounds pretty good for you, too. You got a lot of protein, you got enough starch with that rice, got a little miso. I like some miso soup. You could have it for breakfast if you... I could be having that for breakfast. If you went to Japan on a Saturday and somehow broke into, like, a traditional Japanese family's house, you could definitely have that for breakfast. <laughs> uh... In Africa, so in the African continent, uh, in the country of Senegal, has its own special coffee. So coffee, and I, I could do an entire episode on the history of coffee. The history, like you've chocolate got, you've and really coffee. you really fascinated me with this coffee talk, Steve. Coffee and chocolate can have their own individual history lessons, and they, and it could, you could talk relentlessly about them. And I might at some point in the future. But the African country of Senegal has its own coffee, and it's called Cafe Tuba. Which is essentially... It's, it's, when, uh, it's when you're eating... Is that when you're eating breakfast in band class? Uh, I wouldn't, actually, because it is literally translated uh, spiced coffee. Oh. So it is named for the... Well, not literally translated, but it is a spiced coffee. It's named for the city of Tuba, and its coffee is flavored with a plant called the Grains of Selim, which has a flavor profile akin to pepper plus nutmeg. So they take coffee... They take like a like a like coffee, you know, uh, uh, Arabic coffee beans, uh, and they ground it up. And into those coffee beans, as they grind it, they mix in basically pepper and nutmeg. Uh, and then they prepare it like a regular drip coffee. And then they throw a shit ton of sugar in it <laughs> because otherwise, I don't. I want to meet the Senegalese person who says, "Please, I would like cafe tuba, and I'm going to take it straight black, please." Because yeah. <laughs> I, you, you ever play, you ever play uh, Super Smash Brothers, Mike? You know when you yeah. have, you have the you have the flower, the fire flower, and then you just fire, and fl fire shooting flower, out of you. shooting yeah. fire out of your mouth. That's what would happen to me if I drank coffee too. But <laughs> yo, that sounds. I almost just want to try it once, just to see. You know, you know when you just drink or, or eat. Now I'm thinking about drinking painful but things. Just for the to love be of God, Mike, please do not home make the grains of Salim at your house. Please do not. You don't know the proportions. Don't you like, I'm going to try Cafe Tuba. Just make a French press coffee and then just pour some pepper and nutmeg into it. Yeah, this is probably how it tastes. Famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> Speaking of sugar, Mike, in the country of uh, Malawi, it's one of the few places outside of the U.S. and Indonesia where you can have sweet tea for breakfast. And it's actually the preferred way to take their tea, which as a non-sweet tea drinker, I have a huge problem with trying to order unsweetened iced tea in the South. Because in my head, I'm like, it comes unsweetened. You have to add sugar to it to turn it into something different. Why am I going through the effort of saying unsweetened iced tea? I should be the one saying the least amount of words here. But no, it's like y'all want to. It's like when you ask for tea, it's like, oh, y'all want a sweet tea? No, I don't want a sweet tea. I want unsweetened iced tea. I want to control the amount of sugar I put in my tea. Uh, <coughs> but now we come to Europe. Uh, now, Mike, 
when people in the U.S. stay at like a motel, what's one of the things that they're likely to see offered in that motel in terms of breakfast? Oh, that would be your complimentary breakfast. Other than the word, con- not, yes, complimentary. Con- but what- continental. Continental breakfast. Have you ever wondered why they called it a continental breakfast? Because they wanted you to feel fancy even though you were staying at a motel? Exactly. And why do you think it's fancy? What what is it what is it what's fancy about it? What continent are we talking about when we say continental breakfast? <laughs> well, Jesus, uh I don't know. Is it Europe? Is it the the Europe, which I already <laughs> said like three seconds ago and yeah. I was waiting for I was waiting for you to say something else so I could yell at you? Yes. Europe. <laughs> see, see, I'll tell you, these are you telling me lessons. I'm starting to listen a little more, let me tell yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you that I'm sorry to listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much of medieval history, European history we talked about, spent demonizing the eating of breakfast. And, you know, perhaps due to this, a lot of European countries, even to this day, prefer their breakfast on the lighter side. And now that can be, this can mean different things depending on where in Europe you are. For instance, the traditional Polish breakfast, to American eyes, looks more like one of those party platters you buy from the grocery store before you, you, have, you have like a little soiree. Because it's basically cold cuts, sausage, cold cheese, tomatoes, cucumbers, and bread. That's a that's a traditional Polish breakfast. Huh. Um, All in about Spain, those meats and cheeses. Yeah, and in Spain, you'd either have a, the incredibly simple meal of coffee and toast, or in other parts, you'd have co- you'd have chocolate con choros, which is basically choros with hot thick hot chocolate dip. You're just like dipping it into hot <laughs> melted chocolate, and that's breakfast, which you I know, can get behind. As much as I do love chocolate, and I do love coffee, I gotta say I'm I'm probably more on the Polish side of things. I love eating a whole plate full of meat first thing in the morning. Get go to the Safeway, you buy the party platter, and you bring it back here before 10 a.m. because I <laughs> I need to eat all of that. In order to make it through the rest of this day. It's the only way I'm going to make it. Uh, Now, in Sweden and other parts of Northern Europe, they prefer my, one of my arch enemies, the open-faced sandwich. They prefer for breakfast an open-faced sandwich of bread, cold cuts, cheese, pate, and fish eggs, or caviar. Ooh. Because it That's... there they can there they can get it no problem like Russia Northern Europe caviar oh yeah like I walk outside and I step in caviar <laughs> so it's less of a, um, a rich delicacy out there you're yeah saying? And it's more just like yeah throw that shit on my pancakes yeah, yeah let me just smear this on I'm gonna have this for breakfast when I'm half awake and probably can't even fully enjoy the meal whatever just give me give me those give me that sweet caviar. But when most Americans think continental breakfast, what they are thinking of is France and Italy, where breakfast typically uh, typically consists of some variant of coffee, juice, pastry. Yeah, how did the orange juice get so big for breakfast? Uh, I might have notes on that. Again, wrote this in a fever dream. I I don't curveballs at you, Steve, but you got to admit, it's like orange juice is a breakfast staple. Until, well, until recently. Now I don't even want orange juice anymore because people told me it's got too much sugars in it. Depending on, yeah, if you make it yourself, it's fine. But if you get it from oh, a grocery so you store. fresh squeeze it. Yeah, you get exactly. that, and you got to get that pulp in there. You like yourself a little pulp in your I am juice? a pulp-free man, and now we must fight to the death. What? You know what? You know, again, 
Again, Steve, as a youngster, I would very much be on your team. I would fight me right now. I'd be like, get that, get that out of here. But as I've, uh, as my taste buds have evolved over time, and I've just grown a tolerance for strange things. I don't know, pulp. Now, when I heard pulp was good for you. I'm like, right, you know what, I'll throw, give me some pulp. I mean, I guess there's a sense to it of, like a literal sense of, in addition to drinking it, now you feel somewhat nourished because there's something solid sitting in your stomach, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, it's still crazy to me, but that's what I'm guessing. So when most Americans, they think of the France and Italy, because in Italy and France, you have juice, and you have pastries, and you have coffee, and that's it. Uh, and the term continental breakfast originated in the 1800s in Britain to distinguish it from their version of breakfast, which I'm about to get to. And it caught on with American hotel chains because, as you actually astutely mentioned up top, Mike, it sounded, it was fancy sounding. <laughs> it does. It sounds, you like, ooh, it comes with a continental breakfast? I'm staying here. And now you have, and this is like, these motels are popping up because more Americans are owning cars and they're driving around the country. And you got this new middle class traveling around and it's much cheaper than offering full meals and it just like hits every every available spot. But that brings us, Mike, to the progenitor of the American ideal of breakfast. And we get it from our former mother country, the United Kingdom. What's known in parts of most parts, most parts of Europe as the English breakfast. So with origins dating back to the extravagant morning meals served subversively by the English landed gentry during the Middle Ages. So they were secretly having a shit ton of breakfast and not telling the Catholic <sighs> Church about it. They're like, don't mind us. We're just going to go hide over here in our castle our <laughs> and eat a bunch of food early in the morning. <laughs> Crazy, Steve. Isn't that crazy? You know, I can't get over. We as people just loved controlling each other so much. We would tell each other when it was okay to eat food. Like that is, yeah, crazy. Ugh. That is one. That is like when people when people in the U.S. now think of like communism, they definitely don't know what they're talking about usually because they're thinking of Soviet Russia, which was not communism. But that's what they're thinking. They're thinking of like the state controlling everything you're doing right up until like being like, oh, by the way, no breakfast. Oh, come on, Stalin. Can I have <laughs> breakfast, please? No breakfast. <laughs> so the English the English breakfast itself is a dish. It doesn't... Co it, 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 it Like, when you say, I want English breakfast, first of all, if you go to England and say, I want English breakfast, they're like, yeah, bloody well, you're going to have breakfast. That's what it's... You're in England and you're going to have breakfast. <laughs> what, what the hell are you talking about? But if you're in France and you don't want... You want something more something f with more oomph to it than like coffee juice and pastries you have to tell them i want i'm going to order english breakfast so they're like oh okay oh. you fat fuck all right you <laughs> eat whatever uh, jacques Henri, <laughs> throw whatever is in the kitchen into a pan this fat fuck from england wants something to eat <laughs> so the english breakfast is a dish it's preceded by cereal followed by toast and marmalade to create a full meal so you got you got stages. You got your cereal to begin with, then you got the English breakfast, then you got then you got uh, toast and marmalade to finish it off. And the dish itself is composed of bacon, traditionally black bacon, not bacon strips like we think of here, but like a solid flank of pork, just a big whole spilled <laughs> chunk of pig, <laughs> um, poached or scrambled eggs, uh, you know, fried or. Sorry, I was to say, I've, I've, I've begun to dabble into the poached eggs, and I will tell you, I do, uh, I'm into them. 
I can, I can po- get into that. I do enjoy a, I do enjoy a poached egg. It's hard to do because it's got to be like right in the middle of not too well done, but not too done. Uh, especially if anybody tries eggs Benedict, that's what you, you have. It's a poached egg and an eggs Benedict, which is a cr- terrific breakfast. I love eggs Benedict. Um, I'm getting hungry, Steve. I know. Fried. You're gonna have Brinner. Gonna have to have Brinner when we're done. Some um, <laughs> fried, fried or grilled tomatoes, fried mushrooms, fried bread. Do you sense a pattern here? Buttered toast and sausages, black pudding, which is blood pudding, which is as it is. It's it's that's fried because blood. of the satanic rituals when it's they fried. were eating, <laughs> summoning demons, and you know, fucking and uh, eating breakfast with Satan. No, that was the Swedes. The Swedish oh. were the ones having the breakfast orgies oh, with okay. Satan. Right, right, right. Apolo- shout out to our Swedish <laughs> shout listeners. Shout out to Swedes. Um, <laughs> So that's a lot. You sense a pattern. Everything's fried. So a lot of English will actually call it a fry up. They'll order a fry up, and that's what they mean. Okay. Um, now, now, this is the base, but the dish will differ depending slightly on where in the UK or Ireland you get it. So, like the Cornish, the Scottish, and the Irish all have their own different variation where they'll add things like scones or potato cakes or soda bread. But the idea, the American idea of I need to eat a shit ton of food first thing in the morning. And I need it. I need to eat it all in one meal. Comes from our mother country of England. That's where we get it from. Steve, oh, I got. I, I'm gonna. I got. I got a little thing to throw in here for you. In Aussie land, they call it brekkie, brekkie, and uh, you know, popular over there, as you are probably aware, is the is the Vegemite or Promite spread on a piece of toast. Uh, not my cup of tea, though. Not my connection. Not my cup of uh, liquid chocolate. It's um, it's a, uh, I, it is like it's very salty and it sucked all the moisture out of my mouth because I wasn't ready for it. But that oh boy, they love it. At least my friends loved it. Really into it. I don't know if you've ever tried Vegemite or Promite have, there. I have ne- I I think I tried Vegemite one time, but I don't. I, I would assume that if I tried Vegemite, I'd remember it for the rest of my life. So maybe I maybe I'm mistaken. Uh, but that's so that's where we get that's where we get breakfast from. Now, but well, we get it from we get it from the UK, much like you know Ozzyland got probably exactly. From the, yeah. And we we get it, the notion of it, but in the good old USA, we put our own spin on things. And if you thought it involved throwing more food into it, you were correct. <laughs> so now in North and South America, breakfast is going to is going to be different and evolve depending on what European country conquered it at what particular time. So like in Canada, for instance, Canada was uh, owned by both the English and French at different points. And so you have breakfast that reflects both of those nationalities. So you'll have like the full breakfast and the continental breakfast. So, like, if you're in Montreal, you'll have, like, the Continental Breakfast. If you're in, uh, you know, Toronto uh, or Saskatchewan, you'll have, uh, like, an English sort of breakfast. And because they're up there in the frozen north, you're going to have, like, a much heartier meal. That's where you're going to find. And also, by the way, the major difference being a miraculous little plant that was only grown and cultivated by the indigenous peoples of the New World, the maple tree. <laughs> yes. So we Ooh, get that sweet, sweet maple syrup. So these fur trappers from France and England, they get to the frozen wastelands of northern Canada and they're like, I need to eat a shit ton of bread. My new friends that I found, my quote unquote friends that I found and conquered, they told me about this tree that I could 
open up this tree and pour it on it. And God damn it, if I'm going to be cutting down trees and trapping animals all the live long winter, I'm going to need to sugar it up. Uh, now, in the U.S., if you want to see a concrete example of the melting pot that we like to describe ourselves as, you look no further than breakfast, Mike. Because given that most of the original European colonists to America were from one of these European powers, it's not hard to see their influence. Not to mention the addition of staples of the indigenous peoples that were integrated, like corn. Corn didn't, we didn't fucking know what corn was till we got here and took it from the people who actually grew it. <laughs> oh so like the oh, cornflakes oh we talked about God. before, cornflakes we talked about before, you couldn't, you didn't have that till, till uh, we met the indigenous peoples of the U.S. Are you telling me? That corn toasties didn't come around until we came here and got corn. You know, because it feels like such an English thing. Corn toasties. Yeah. And I'll corn, tell you what. Have you ever had corn, a corn toastie? Corn, corn, cornbread, certain berries, maple syrup, beans, wild rice. We didn't, that didn't, that did, wasn't part of breakfast palates until uh, we began to take over this country from the people who rightfully owned it. Uh, there's also, not surprisingly, African and Afro-Caribbean cuisine. Uh, that is also enmeshed in there. I don't know where that came from, though. Uh, that evolved from... Oh, no, I do. I wrote it here. From slaves forcibly imported to the Americas. Right. I wrote that. Okay, good. Uh, so then you add that to the cuisines and ethnic groups that followed, and we're left with American cuisine is the definition of fusion cuisine. To go through all these uh, various American breakfast elements and try to pull them apart would take hours and ways beyond the scope of our current podcast. So I'm going to give you the very quick rundown. So we get the full breakfast concept from the English settlers. So okay. we get like breads, eggs, meat, potatoes, cheeses. Canada, you got people working hard labor in all, you know, like horrible conditions. The southwestern U.S., you get the Spanish-Mexican indigenous mixes. So you get the huevos rancheros. Oh, yo, some huevos rancheros, man. That's And from there, you get the distinctly American invention. And this will cause you to salute, I'm sure, Mike, of the breakfast burrito. Yes, Steve! Are you kidding me? Oh my, are you? Mm, God, let me tell you, Steve, the amount of times I have had me a breakfast burrito, it has been a life saver. It is, mm, like, it's just everything you, you, you need wrapped up. It's like, it's the beauty of the sando, but better. Because, you know, sandos are open all over the place. On all four sides, it's open. But boy, you you wrap something up nice. You get your breakfast all wrapped up in a nice burrito, a little spicy Breakfast burrito, I mean, just wrapped up in that tortilla. I mean, you can't, that's... That is a, so... That's, the a, that's, origins a, that's a toss-up for favorite breakfast between that and steak and eggs, man. I'll tell you the, what, I love the origins. Burrito. The origins of the breakfast burrito come, like, the the component parts of it come from the, you know, the the fact that the Spanish and, and, and Mexico owned that part of the country for the longest time. But it took good old American ingenuity to think, hey, you know what I could do? I could wrap all this up and then just eat it while I'm running, while I'm walking around. <laughs> yes. Uh, and of course, uh, we're, we, I'm here in New York. Uh, from our immigrants of Eastern European descent, we get the Jewish immigrants of Eastern Europe. We get our bagels. A little schmear on there. God bless them. <laughs> uh, other distinctly American breakfast inventions, Mike, again, cause you to stand up and salute breakfast sandwich, purely an American invention, uh, which was popularized following the Civil War by westward moving pioneers as an easy on the go breakfast. So they'd be like they'd be out on the wagon train 
They're like, oh man, we gotta uh, fry up some food real quick, and then we gotta get going because I, I don't want to be I don't want to be out here in the middle of nowhere any longer than I have to be. Throw it together in a sandwich. That's what the then that like the Civil War soldiers. That's that came from them. And so then they went and started. They survived the war. They survived the war. In my hands. Exactly. (laughs) I'm sorry. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you, Lee Greenwood. Um, So you've got these American soldiers. They, you know, they survived the Civil War, and now they're they're going out in the West, and they're taking these these quick breakfast sandwiches with them. Uh, And while uh, you got popcorn cereal starts to become popular, which we might know today by the brand Pops, which were created Amer- in America in the 1800s. And while hot oatmeal and porridge were staples of morning meals around the world, ready-to-eat cold cereals are a distinctly American invention, first developed by a German immigrant, Ferdinand Schumacher, who founded the German Mills American Oatmeal Company in 1854. Wait mm-hmm. a second, Steve. Hold on. I already know what you're going to tell me. Are you going to tell me that they had to change the name German Mills to General Mills because of the war? Uh, no, if you would let me finish. Uh, I was really excited. <laughs> Later to take on the image of a Quaker as its mascot. Wait, so so now you're telling me that the, the, guy, the German creator posed as a Quaker? For he, his, like, so his company eventually used the image of a Quaker as its mascot. So it took a Pennsylvania Dutch... Took the Pennsylvania Dutch, took their image, that's where the Quakers came from, oh, and as its mascot, that's... renamed it Quaker Oats. Uh, and uh, the oat-based and later rice and corn-based breakfast cereals later got a boost from a religious movement called the Seven-Day Adventists, who preached, among other things, the evils of eating meat in the morning. And one of their followers was a man by the name of John Harvey Kellogg, who invented and launched the Cornflakes brand in 1895. Oh. Oh no! You're telling me, Steve. Are you are you telling me that Tony the Tiger comes from a man who said it's evil to eat meat for breakfast? He yes. He was also God a, damn it, Steve. He was also a pioneer. He 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 uh, invested a lot of money in terms of uh, to um, like create mental hospitals. So like this was a like he would then use like his religious beliefs in the like treating of mental disorders and one of the things he would do would be to ensure they had a hearty breakfast of uh, cornflakes in the morning oh i thought you were gonna say he gave them cocoa puffs because no. they were cuckoo for cocoa puffs. yes way to way to really minimize mental illness there mike steve it's not you, your fault you it's gonna... not your fault it's not your fault <laughs> The it's, ad it, campaign literally is a crazy bird who's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's Kellogg's fault. It's, it's not Kellogg's. yours. I'm it's like Kellogg's. Kellogg's. Fault. I'm just so, saying it's ironic to me that. So our final, I because I, this this is I knew I was going to talk a lot about breakfast. Uh, I want to. I just want to quick this for our this is our final thing we're going to talk about for our end cap. We're going to talk about two types of breakfast uh, that our listeners might not be familiar with, unless of course they watched uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But what about second yes. breakfast? Yes. In certain in, in certain European countries, there is a traditional meal eaten between breakfast and lunch, and it is not brunch. That's that's another thing. That's a whole uh, other. That's typically it's a lighter meal or snack around ten a.m. Now in like Hungary and Slovakia, it's coffee and pastries. In Bavaria, unsurprisingly, it's sausage served with pretzels, mustard, and beer. With pretzels? <laughs> yeah, that's where. Yeah, that's where like pretzels it, come I like, from. I like it. Bavaria. Uh, called a uh, brotzeit, which literally translates to bread time. 
So their second breakfast is like, up oh, 10 a.m., bread time. <laughs> bread time. Let's eat some bread. Uh, you got uh, tea time in England. You got bread time in Bavaria. In, uh, which is in Germany. Oh, uh, Germany? In Whatever, yeah. It's Bavaria. It's a region of Germany. Oh, yeah. In the U.S., the eating of second breakfast was usually confined to farmers in the 1800s who, in needing to get up stupid early, their breakfast is like 5 a.m. So they had to have something before lunch to keep going. And that was usually second breakfast. Uh, now there's, now that's like 10 a.m., but Mike, what if, what if you need to eat food between 10 and noon? Uh, like, I had breakfast and then second breakfast, but I need to eat more before lunch. What am I going to do? That is where we come to 11zs. 11zs? Now I hear you asking me, can't we eat some more? Well, that's where 11zs comes in. Between 10 and noon, in many places around the world, 11zs would basically strike us Americans as basically being like the coffee break. Like you're at work, you have your 15-minute break, you have some coffee. Oh, okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, and in most countries, 11Zs is a simple cup of coffee or tea and like a biscuit or a cookie or something like that. How about a but, banana? Do, is, when the, is bananas that, I, I'm a banana man for breakfast. I, I do like, a, that's my second. This isn't breakfast. This 11Zs is 11Zs. For my 11Zs. <laughs> but here in America, Mike, we go our own way. And in 11Zs... Uh, 11Zs, like I said, is a coffee break, but it also can reflect the drink of choice depending on where you are and when it is. And in America in the 19th century, the most plentiful and culturally significant drink was, of course, whiskey. Oh. By 1820, corn whiskey was the cheapest and most abundant beverage available to the average American. And we, as a nation, drank a shit ton of the stuff morning, noon, and night. Which, as we know, led to the first great American health crisis, a temperance movement, and that would lead to prohibition 100 years later. But before they ruined all of our good fun, <laughs> many Americans, no matter where or who they work for, were granted a quick whiskey break at 11 a.m. <laughs> you've, been, you've been working hard. You know what? Why don't you have yourself a, a cup of whiskey? You know, yeah, all right, yeah. It's where so did cheap. we go wrong in this country? We had it figured out for these people. For this is cheaper than water. It's cheaper than water. Oh, Steve, are you telling me that not only was breakfast originated that included alcoholic beverages, but as breakfast continued to be so popular that you needed second breakfast and then elevensies? That more and more booze was introduced into people's systems. It was a different time, Mike. It's a different time. People, men worked hard. People worked hard. They got up early in the morning. They tilled the field. They worked the factory. And at 11 a.m., they needed to get shit-faced <laughs> to face the rest of their day. And that's where Levensies come from. Now, I get, I'm pretty sure nobody called it that, but that's what it was. Can you imagine like a, like a hearty American worker in the 19th century? Ah, uh, time for Levensies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pour that whiskey. But that is a very, very brief history of the meal we like to call breakfast. And wow. I I we. can there there's so much to talk about, and we definitely Steve, how can you talk for an hour and a half about breakfast? Fuck you, I can do it, and I did it. You did and it. So and which is what Nick is saying to himself right now, editing. He's <laughs> like, how the fuck did you talk for an hour and a half about breakfast? Oh, Steve, you you told me in my stomach so many wonderful things about breakfast today from from the from the early times of eating like an Egyptian by having 
Oh God, what was it? We had, we have some beer, bread, and what was the other thing that we? I don't, Mike. I'm pretty sure if you got in a time machine and like set it to random, and you fell at a random point in time in human history, and it was breakfast, there would be beer there. Ah, uh, and then well, and you know, to the Romans that just didn't eat breakfast and puked all day in their vomitoriums until they finally decided maybe breakfast would be a good idea. To uh, the Catholic Church trying to at first ban breakfast and then saying liquid breakfast was okay and then we're having Jesus and wine for breakfast, technically. Uh, to the, with the English then hiding away in their castles and eating breakfast. To Queen Elizabeth coming out as a breakfast eater. I mean, and then to all, uh, and then from Japanese breakfast to Chinese breakfast to uh, Europe breakfast, um, uh, getting the maple syrup when we... Uh, Stealing corn, making cornbread, the the evils of Kellogg. Steve, there's the been too much you told me today. I've learned. I, I can't learned filter too much. it all. <laughs> I've got to go to. I gotta go lay down. I, gotta, I have a. I have a tummy brain ache. I'm gonna go find some chocolate to drink. Oh my god! Uh, I just but, now, but I'm craving steak, eggs, and breakfast burritos. I, I mean, mm. I mean, you can have a steak and egg breakfast burrito. That's a. <laughs> that's one of the breakfast I, burrito options. I'm that, sure. You know what? I believe it is, Steve. Some salsa? Throw some salsa in that? First thing in the morning, <laughs> 6 a.m., salsa, steak, eggs, tortilla. Get on an wa- airplane. <laughs> then I'll wash it down with uh, some 11 Z's, just cup of, whis- cup of Irish whiskey. Uh, but yes, that is, so that's the, our, our latest episode, Are You Telling Me? A history podcast with Mike and Steve. Thank you for sticking around and listen to, listening to me talk about a very brief history of a meal that you probably just you just do it you know talk about it and why would you you're not an insane person like i am uh but you can find me on twitter and steven trollinger twitter and instagram at your man trollo on my personal website steven and on uh the dapper devil productions uh website and all of our good podcasts there like our parent podcast the song doctor report uh, glee aggressive uh fun stuff in the pipeline coming up and mike where can we find you Yes, you can find me on my Instagram at MrMikeRussell.com, along with uh, the other lovely places Steve mentioned, like that, and the Dapper Devil Productions website there, and the Sontopsy Report. And, uh, and yeah, so that's it for our episode today. And while Mike and I go off to enjoy a much belated Elevensies, uh, I will close out with the curse slash blessing that I like to now give at the end of every episode. And that say to you, our listeners, may you live in interesting times. It's actually a curse. Nobody wants to live in interesting times. It's usually terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, if things weren't interesting, uh, it'd be boring, right? Exactly. Most people like boring. That's exactly what I'm telling you, Mike. Mike. History, stupid.